Well, Bearcat, I want to thank you. Where is Bearcat? Where'd he go? Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Gospel Conversations, and we've watched two videos, and there they are, both of them back there, Bearcat and Andrew, over the past couple weeks, just about Gospel Conversations. And we've talked a lot about that phrase, Gospel Conversations. And it's basically sharing any aspect of the gospel, which is Christ has died. Christ was buried, according to the scriptures. He's risen from the dead. That is the essence of the gospel. It's sharing any aspect of God's story about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins to any unbeliever and sharing what God is doing in your life. We need to open our eyes because all around us, and as we approach Christmas, it's within almost a month. As we approach Christmas, this is an incredible opportunity that God gives us all as we come up to this part of the year where we need to ask and be aware of the people around us and what God is doing in their lives and proclaim the gospel and share the love of Jesus uh, to him. You know, there's that silly old bumper sticker, Jesus is the reason for the season. You know, but when we think about it, that is utterly true. So Bearcat, thanks for sharing that example. Today, does anybody have any idea? I've got a couple questions. What is this Sunday and the church calendar year? Does anybody know? Advent. Good try, but mm, our bulletin deceived you a little bit. It is not Advent. Thanks, Daniel and Sandra, for playing, but you're still welcome to stay. Anybody else? Does anybody know what this Sunday is? What, Mel? Christ the King Sunday. In the church calendar, today is the last Sunday of the year. It's not December 31st. It's today, and it's called Christ the King Sunday. And I'll be honest with you, every time we come to this Sunday, I love it. It's one of my most favorite Sundays of the year because we focus on who Jesus is. He's our King. He's our Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And as we celebrate and as we come up to Christmas, you know, Christ is born a child is born unto us. And all those prophecies in Isaiah. And Advent starts next Sunday. Advent are the four Sundays before Christmas. And Advent is a time of celebration and preparation for two comings. The first one is we celebrate and prepare ourselves for Christmas. Jesus' first coming. But Advent is also a focus of his second coming that he promises he will come again one day and we neither know the day nor the hour and yet jesus commands us to be ready so advent is a great time to prepare our hearts are you ready for christ's second return why on the two black tables now on the welcome desk you'll see this advent family guide Take one. It's for your family. And over the next four weeks as we prepare for Christmas, there'll be different devotional thoughts. There'll be different schedules of when we have our Christmas celebrations, our Christmas around the world, and all the other Brentwood family churches when they have their Christmas uh, music and the concerts. But this is a great guide for you and your family to spend time together during this Advent season as we prepare for Christmas. Because it's not all about Santa Claus and cookies and parties. It's about celebrating his birth in a manger. And in order to get to the cross, you have to start in the manger. And to get to the manger, you have to start in God's heart as he rules and reigns in heaven. I want to invite you guys to stand. We're going to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at a story. 
And we as pastors, as we planned this sermon series, we kind of cheated and we roped in this Sunday, kind of as the first Sunday of Advent, even though technically it's not. Luke chapter 1, it's a story many of you all will know. If you don't have your Bible, it will be up here on the screen. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This is God's word and it's for his people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for, if you, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Let's jump over to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Verse 38. This is when Jesus is hanging on the cross. An ironic, a rather ironic action done by Pilate. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. It is true. It is inspired by you. It is living. It is active. It is like fire. It is a double-edged sword. And it cuts even to dividing bone and marrow and the thoughts of our hearts and our minds. So Holy Spirit, we invite you now to be our teacher Open our hearts and minds to hear your word, to hear your voice. Father, I pray that you would give me your words, that I would say only what you want. And everyone here today, we ask your great blessing. Bring encouragement, bring comfort, bring conviction of sin, bring healing, bring transformation so that you are glorified. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. And almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under your most gracious rule, who lives and reigns, you, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. I have a question. What does goat mean? G-O-A-T, goat. What is goat? Oh, greatest of all time. We're going to look at a word here in this passage we just read, the word great. But what does great mean? We use it all the time. Oh, this food is great. This song is great. 
This is the greatest athlete on the planet. She's the greatest musician. She's the greatest singer. This is great. But what does great mean? One of the most, when I think back on my father, who tomorrow will be his one-year anniversary. It's so hard to believe. It's just gone like this when he passed away. But when I think back on my dad, one of the most cherished memories I have, and it's, it's a silly memory, but it was years ago, Christy and I, we were living in Mexico, and we came home for a couple weeks of vacation around the holidays. And it was back when the Tennessee Titans were actually good. And it was a Sunday after church, and it was a day a lot like today, but probably about 15 degrees colder sunny like this, and my mom made chili or beef stew or something, and after church, we were home, and it was just us, and the game was on, and we, I, would just, I, went, I must have eaten six bowls of this beef stew or whatever it was, and I can remember my dad, and I kept getting up, going back for more, and the Titans were winning, and my dad, I can still see his face. He was so excited, I think partly because we were just there, and he kept saying, this is so great. This is so great. And he wasn't talking about the food or the game because we're really not Titans fans. But it was just that fellowship of great. But unfortunately, we use that word so much that I think and I'm afraid that it's truly lost its meaning. If you look up on the screen, what does great mean? Well, the definition of an extent, amount, or intensity considerably above the normal or average of ability, quality, or eminence, considerably. See the big word there, considerably? Say it, considerably. Uh, Y'all are speaking in tongues. What y'all said was considerably above the normal or average. Great. Now here's a bunch of synonyms. Just look at what's said. Considerable, substantial, pronounced, significant, appreciable, exceptional, inordinate, extraordinary, Special, large, big, extensive, expansive, broad, wide. And I'm going over this because great has become such just a common, but keep going, spacious, vast. Could you imagine if Gabriel came down and said, Jesus is going to be spacious. <laughs> Immense, huge, enormous, gigantic, Massive. Man, we sound like second graders talking about a toy from Christmas. Colossal. Mammoth. Monstrous. I can't pronounce the next word. What does that say? Prodigious? Thank you, Bill. Tremendous. Stupendous. Unlimited. Boundless. Cosmic. Humongous. Here's my next favorite. Whopping and thumping and ginormous. Man, could you imagine, Gabriel, come on, your son is going to be whopping. <laughs> 15 pounds. Woo! Ginormous. Now they're just making stuff up. Prominent. Eminent. Preeminent. Important. Distinguished. And august. Those are all synonyms for great. Look at those words. Which one speaks to you? And then put Jesus in front. Jesus is... Now be careful. You get to heaven, he might say, what'd you call me? But just think about the greatness of Jesus. The goat. The greatest of all time. Now here, going back to the story, and we, a lot of us, if you grew up in the church, you know this story. 
here in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. There has been 400 years of what they call prophetic silence. This is from the time of Malachi and the last Old Testament prophets. There was no authoritative prophetic word from anyone in Israel and the Jewish people. In Israel, for 400 years, they came back from Babylon, from all their destruction. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the city walls. We can read that in Ezra and in Nehemiah. At one point in time, Israel ruled themselves again. But they are being taken over again and again by the Greeks, by eastern countries, ruled by other countries. And during the time of Christ, even before Rome truly expanded in what's called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, truly began to happen. But Rome wasn't necessarily a peaceful ruling country. They were extremely heavy-handed and oppressive with lots of taxes. And if you've lived in other countries, if you're from another country, you know what it's like that feeling of being a foreigner, being controlled by others. Again, we were reminded just two weeks ago when we were in Mexico how far the extent of the United States goes into other countries. And I don't say that in a negative way. But to be ruled by other people, and so we have to put our mindset back into Israel 2,000 years ago. They have not heard from God from any voice, prophetic voice for centuries and they're being oppressed by Rome. Their leadership has been tossed to and fro for centuries. Where is God? How many of you guys, when you've suffered, and you've suffered unjustly, and you've asked the question, where is God? God, where are you? If you're so big and so good and so great, where are you? That's the context. And right here, and we've read it, but we'll read it again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Okay, what's this sixth month? Six months earlier, Gabriel went to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, a very holy, righteous couple. And Zechariah was one of the priests. And they were old, advanced in years, beyond childbearing. And miraculously, God allows Elizabeth to conceive. And Gabriel comes and tells them that they're going to have a son. And they're going to name him John, John the Baptist. And he's actually one of Jesus' cousins. So that's the six months here. After six months of that visit, the angel Gabriel then comes, and he comes to the town of Galilee, to Nazareth. Nazareth, sorry, to Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Nazareth, you'll see if you read the Gospels, when Jesus is in his ministry, he gets criticized. Oh, he's from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is just a bow-hick country town that's nothing on the map. And even the Pharisees say when Jesus is preaching and teaching, it was no one comes from Nazareth. I mean, Nazareth is like Jackson, Tennessee. I can throw Jackson under the bus. I'm from Jackson. It's like Decatur, Alabama, or maybe Arab, Alabama, Paducah, Kentucky, Gary, Indiana. I mean, I'm just throwing out names. But think of a town in your state where you're from, Nashville, Tennessee. No. Just an insignificant little town where no one famous or important is from. Nothing is expected. That was Nazareth. And the angel Gabriel, he shows up to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now that's all unbelievably significant because there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. 
And one of the keys for the Messiah is that he had to come from the line of David. Joseph and Mary both came from the line of David. And here it's referring this woman. She's a young woman. And she's a virgin. She hasn't had any type of sexual relationship with any man yet. She's engaged. And being engaged back in that time was so much more significant than today. Even today, most people now are just shacking up, living together, trying out the relationship for a while to see if it works, and then maybe they might get married. But back in the Jewish culture 2,000 years ago, There was this very strong binding covenant that a man and woman would make. They would be betrothed, engaged to one another. And the only way you could break that covenant, that commitment, was through death or a legal certificate of divorce. Basically, they were married in every way except two things. The woman still lived with her father, with her family, and they did not have any sexual relationship together. The wedding was not... What's consummated? Holy cow, the word is the same way. And so they weren't living together yet. And this is important, and we'll see it, because Jesus, being born of a woman and yet being God's son, he was 100% man, 100% God. So this angel comes to Mary, and the angel came to her and said in verse 28, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. It's so quick to run over these words. Favored means God's grace is poured upon you. God's special grace is on you. Greetings, favored woman. Verse 29, but she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. I always find it interesting when angels show up and they meet people. Now, I've never met an angel. Maybe I have and I don't know it yet. But could you imagine, I mean, what did Gabriel look like when he showed up? How did Mary know that Gabriel was an angel? And I still feel like the movies just don't, to me, they just don't get it. And they don't quite do it right. Rather, the angel's drugged up or he looks like a cartoon figure. And Mary's usually just sitting there super stoic like she's been smoking something. And they just never quite get it. But this angel, like, is he shining brighter than the sun like sometimes it's described in Scripture? Or does he just look like some average Joe? But he comes, he says, greeting favored woman, you found favor with God. The Lord is with you. Now remember the context. Israel is being oppressed by Rome. There is no prophetic voice for over 400 years. Nothing. Mary is this poor servant girl who's probably 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. She's insignificant, living in a tiny, insignificant little town in Galilee. And this angel shows up and says, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Earlier this week when I was going over over this sermon, again, probably because my dad's anniversary is coming up. But I can remember when I used to run track. I used to run track. And I used to run the mile and two mile. It wasn't very, very good. But I can remember in one race running around ten laps. No, eight laps. I was going to die. And my dad, who was great in track, was in the middle, and he was kind of running with me, encouraging me. And every time I heard his his voice, and he called me Dougie, there was this extra power strength that would rise up in me, and I felt like I could fly. And hearing God's voice through this angel Gabriel to Mary, it makes me wonder, this young little teenager from this tiny little town who's poor, 
Where is God in all this with all the violence around, being oppressed by a foreign country? And he says, greetings, favored one. And he says it a couple, time, a couple times. The Lord is with you. Now, I'm going to take a real side note here real quick. The Roman Catholic Church is accused of making too much of Mary. And they treat her almost as semi-God. They do in Mexico. Mary sits at the right hand of the Father in Mexico. And that's all is seen. The mama of God. But the Protestant church on this side, we've been accused of making too little of Mary. Now Mary is the mother of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And she is blessed more than any other woman on this planet who's ever lived. And I want to be careful. I want to sit right in the middle because when I get to heaven, I don't want Jesus standing at the gate. Not only what I told him earlier about being humongous, but I don't want him either saying, what would you say about my mama? And when it comes to sharing the gospel, especially those who maybe grew up Roman Catholic and they have a high view of Mary, there's two things I want to show you and teach you guys real quickly. Instead of denigrating Mary, ask two questions with her dear Catholic friends. What were Mary's last words found in Scripture? Do everything he says. When Jesus changed the water to wine, Mary came up to Jesus and said, we're out of wine. And they had this conversation. And then she turns to the servants and says, do everything he says. So if we're to follow Mary's words, what does Mary tell us to do? Do everything that Jesus says. What's the last thing we see Mary doing in Scripture? Acts chapter 1, where she's with all the apostles, the few Christians that were there. Jesus has gone to heaven, and they're in the upper room, and they're praying together in unity, seeking the Father's face, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So as we share our faith, Jesus says, if you lift up the Son of Man, he will draw all people to himself. So we need to, when we look at Mary, we need to realize, man, that's Jesus' mama. And she's the most blessed woman who's ever lived. Sorry, Christy. Where did Christy go? Sorry, Christy. <laughs> she had this incredible privilege of being Jesus' mother, of changing his diapers, breastfeeding him, teaching him how to walk, Teaching him, as can you imagine? Just think about that. What her character must have been like on the inside for God as he stoops down because God loves to pick and choose the insignificant, the weak, the poor, the ugly, the broken. He loves to come down and see who's humble and says, you're mine and you're mine and I choose you. And so here he comes to Mary through Gabriel saying, highly favored one, God is with you. And then they carry on the conversation. And we'll read very quickly here in verse 30. Then the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. It is super important to understand that she was a virgin. 
Jesus' conception was miraculous. The Holy Spirit did not have sex with Mary. He was miraculously conceived in her womb, 100% man, 100% God. Miraculous. It's important to understand that completely and utterly, and that's not hard for God to do. If he spoke and there was light, if he spoke and created the universe, God can do all things. Jesus has always been, always will be. He was in heaven with his Father for all eternity. And when he was conceived to become a man, that's a miraculous wonder that I don't even want to try to explain. And when we get to heaven, we'll say the most common word in heaven. Wow, it's amazing. And there's five things that Gabriel predicts and prophesies over Mary about her son. Jesus means the Lord is salvation. But there's five things, and Christian, you can put this up on the screen. The first one is he will be great. The second one is he'll be called son of the most high. The third prophecy will be the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. The fourth is he will reign over the house of Jacob. That's Israel. That is the people of Israel. He will rule over them forever. And the fifth prophecy is his kingdom will have no end. Okay, very quickly, and we're going to go back through this again with great. Chris, could you put what great means again up on the board? All these words about great, not the definition, but the synonyms, please. When Gabriel tells Mary, he will be great. He will be great. Jesus is preeminent and august. He's humongous. I can't even think of the other words now. There we go. He's colossal. Meditate on the fact that, God, you are so great. Jesus, you are great. And may we measure our words in the future when we talk about great pizza or great music or great ice cream or great movie. There is only one who is great, and that's him who sits on the throne. But then as Gabriel begins to discuss and talk with Mary about all these other prophecies, He goes on to say, Gabriel goes on to say, and he says this, he says, he'll be called the son of the Most High. Most High was a very common word that the Jews used both in the Old Testament and during the time of Mary to refer to God, to refer to Yahweh. And when they say he'll be the son of the Most High, back during Israel, during that time, the son was considered a carbon copy of his father, the exact representation So when Mary hears these words that he'll be son of the Most High, he'll be a carbon copy of Yahweh, of our Lord and Savior of God Almighty. It is very prophetic and it's very messianic. Gabriel goes on to say when he says that he will give him the throne of his father David. Back in 2 Samuel, we won't look at it. But when David wanted to build the temple, God said, no, one of your sons will build the temple. And if you and your sons follow and obey me, you will never lack from having a son sit on the throne. Well, we know that all those human sons of David, and as we go through the history of Israel and Judah, they completely disobeyed. And as a result, the kingdom was destroyed. But Old Testament prophecies usually always have two fulfillments, the immediate and then the future fulfillment. And when Nathan prophesied over David, when God told him, you will always have a son on the throne, he was first and foremost referring to the Messiah who would come, and that's Jesus. 
So when Mary hears these words, as Gabriel talks about, he will sit on the throne of your father, David, instantly remembering what God had told David centuries before. And then his kingdom will never end. He will rule forever and ever and ever. One of the most ironic things, and we read it at the end, Unfortunately for us, when we think about Christmas, and I know I do this all the time, I want a nice big Christmas tree, a warm fire, great cup of coffee, candles, presents under the tree. And when I think of Jesus, I love looking at the old paintings and pictures where they show you it's all cleaned up. Jesus is in the manger, and there's the camels and the donkeys and the sheep and the wise men, and there's the shepherds. There's Mary, and there's Joseph. Oh, how warm. Yet the reality is, they, there was no room at the end. And the manger is a feeding trough. It was messy. And they were all alone until the shepherds came. No one knew until the angels announced it. And the manger scene was just a beachhead for what God was truly going to do. The mystery of Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, shedding his dear blood, for you and for me, 33 years later on the cross. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And most of you know that. Most of you know that. But as we approach this Christmas season, may we never forget how great and awesome Jesus is. A couple things to close, and they'll be up on the screen. What does this passage tell us? First and foremost, God is faithful to fulfill his promises, every last one. How many years of silence was there from the last Old Testament prophet? How many? 400. Masomenos. 400 years, and yet God is faithful to fulfill all of his promises. Number two, God hears and sees the cries of his people. Number three, God chooses the weak, forgotten, insignificant things of this world to show off his glory and power. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling when God called you to be one of his sons or daughters. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish. So you're foolish. Foolish in this world to shame what is wise. And God has chosen what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant. Now that's Mary. Foolish, weak, insignificant. And despised in this world. A young Jewish girl, teenager. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. 
God loves to choose the insignificant things of this world to show off his glory. What does this mean for us? Today is Christ the King Sunday. And as we approach Advent, there's a couple things I want to encourage all of us to do. And here's a question I have for all of us. Do we truly see Jesus for who he is as the great and awesome and amazing King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Do we worship him because he is worthy of worship? There's a passage in Habakkuk. And Chris, did you get it up on the screen? Okay, awesome. Thank you. Habakkuk was one of those last prophets. And he lived during a very horrible, wretched time in the people of Israel. And this is what he says in the very last few verses of Habakkuk 3. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there, is, there are no herds in the stalls. Think about what's being said. You have no food in your fridge. You have no money in your bank account. You have no means of survival. Think about what Habakkuk is saying. And then look at what he declares. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation the Lord, my, the Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer, and he enables me to walk on mountain heights. For the choir director, sing it. Do we truly worship Jesus because he is worthy and great? Or do we worship him for his, ben for his benefits that he gives us? During this Advent season, there's a couple things I want to challenge you with. First, repent of your low esteem and view of the greatness of Jesus. We all need to repent because our view of Jesus is too low. Number two, ask God to give you a greater understanding and adoration of his greatness of who he is. Number three, choose to spend five minutes a day in worship of Jesus for who he is. Just choose five minutes a day to worship him for who he is, nothing else. And finally, spend five minutes a day meditating on his greatness and his majesty. There's a pastor, and I want you to quote, well, no, it'll be on the screen. There's a pastor, his name was Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge, and I think I've shared this in the past. Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge. He was pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California, from 1952 to 1993. He's passed away, and he wrote a sermon. He preached a sermon years ago called Amen. It's better known as My King or That's My King. There's tons of renditions on YouTube now to music, and none of them do justice for his sermon. And they definitely don't do justice for who Jesus is. Some of his sermon will be up on the screen. I want to read just an excerpt of it, and I'm not going to try to sound like him. His voice is deep and low, 
and it's amazing, and I encourage you to look it up. But this is what he says about his king. My king was born king. The Bible says that he is a seven-way king. He's king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. Now that's my king. I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there is no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He is august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the coronal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislatures. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings, and he is lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. He then says in the sermon, I wish I could describe him to you. He is indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. 
He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens of heavens can't contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out that they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been. He always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. All the power belongs to my king. We're around here talking about black power and white power and green power, but it's God's power. Thine is the power and the glory. And Mark, do you mind coming on up, please? We're trying to get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all His. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever, how long is that? And ever, and ever, and ever, and when you get through with all the forevers, amen. That is our king. There's copies of this on the back table. But what we're going to do now, we're going to take 120 seconds. I'm stealing this from Kairos. Just in silence to meditate on Jesus' greatness. Let's pray. Let's stand.
you and thank you so much because you are awesome and glorious and holy. There is no one like you. Forgive us for not understanding nor worshiping and praising and following and obeying you because we don't understand your greatness. You are a Messiah. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And may we forever bow our knees before you and worship you, Lord.